Welcome to the No Bibs, Burps, Bottles podcast, where we highlight and share the stories of African-American women who are 30 plus, child-free, wonderfully made, and living their best life. Remember, womanhood is not synonymous with motherhood. This is Dr. Angela L. Harris, your host. Come join me as we get comfortable and cozy with no bibs, no burps, no bottles. Stay tuned. Welcome everyone to another episode of No Bibs, Burps, Bottles, the stories of African-American women without children. Thank you so much for joining me and I'm excited and delighted to have another special guest that's going to come to you and share her truth and narrative. So let me tell you a little bit about our special guest. So my guest is a native of Charlotte who has been licensed to practice law in North Carolina and Georgia for 20 years. Her experiences include clerking for the Honorable Stephen P. Mickle of the Federal District Court of North, Northern Florida, serving as an assistant public defender in Fulton County, Georgia, and serving as the judicial defender for Mecklenburg County. My special guest received her BA in speech communication from Clark Atlanta University and her Juris Doctorate from the University of Florida Levine College of Law. My guest was the inaugural chair of the Mecklenburg County Bar Juvenile Law Section and is a member of the leadership team of Race Matters for Juvenile Justice. In 2015, my guest was honored as YWCA Women of the Year Community Champion. She currently serves as an assistant clerk of court and judiciary hearing officer in the Office of the Clerk of Superior Court, and she is active in several court and community organizations. Please, please help me welcome Mrs. C. Renee Little Esquire. Hello. Hi, Dr. Harris. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You have done a lot, and I want to <laughs> like I want to unfold some of that so that people can get to know you a little bit better sure. before we jump right into things. So tell me a little bit about just the work that you do in Charlotte. I know that you're very busy. Um, and, and you have your hands in a lot of different pots. So tell me kind of um, what you do in Charlotte. Tell me a little bit more about your background. Yes. Well, I uh, went to the Clark Atlanta University. Shout out to the Panthers. And probably my junior year realized I wanted to go to law school. My background was in speech communication and I loved the art of storytelling. And as I was matriculating, I thought, you know, how can I tell a story, but yet marry the, telling stories with my passion? Uh, my other passions, which included justice and, and advocacy. And I thought, okay, law school, right? Go to law school. And so did that, did well, clerked at home, um, had some opportunities um, in, North, in Georgia and North Carolina, but decided to come home where I started in corporate law, which was great. But my heartbeat was really uh, indigent defense and doing things with the public. Mm -hmm. So I actually left my corporate job, a corporate firm here in Charlotte, and went to Atlanta and became a public defender because I wanted to be in the knit and the grit of it. You know, mm -hmm. when you think of those courtroom shows, you think about being in the courtroom. And so I really wanted that experience. And as I was doing um, work as a public defender, I kept getting drawn to the stories of juveniles. So even my adult clients, I was really interested in what was going on with them holistically. And that really meant looking at their childhood. And so that really led me on a path to really being, um, focused on juvenile rights and juvenile law. And so I came back home in 2009, became the juvenile defender for Mecklenburg County through an agency called the Council for Children's Rights. And through leading that very multidisciplinary holistic team of lawyers and social workers and community advocates, 
I really found my passion. And that then connected me with other court leaders who cared about juvenile rights. And then my current boss, um, uh, who was the elected clerk of court, she um, helped to found an organization called Race Matters for Juvenile Justice that was really looking at the intersection of race and, and, and the law in different ways. And so being the juvenile defender and really caring about children's rights in the criminal world and how they intersected with welfare, you know, race matters for juvenile justice, I felt like, wow, this is something I've needed and wanted all my life. So um, I left the work as a juvenile defender in 2015 and started working with my now boss, who's the elected clerk, and it gave me an opportunity not only to serve the courtroom as, as an assistant clerk and, and be a judicial hearing officer, but really continue the work of looking at the impact that race has on courts and how we want to make sure that destiny and demography are not tied. Mm -hmm. So those are my passions in some ways. It's still juvenile work and, and really justice for everyone, but looking at how race has really impacted our country. Race is in the water, and so it really needs to be a part of the solution. So um, I spend half of my time being an assistant clerk, listening to different types of cases and making decisions. And the other part of my time really working with RMJJ to make our systems more equitable. And uh, we have community trainings and that's been my heartbeat. So let's kind of jump into this. So I'm so excited, excited to have you and I'm so excited to kind of just hear your story. And so you shared a little bit already about just your work and your involvement, but can you describe your life at this point uh, being child-free today? So where I am now is um, life is really good. I, I think why life is really good is there's a piece that's going on right now and we all know what's going on and while our prayers are, are up for those who are um, in the thick of it whether that means joblessness illness or just mentally um, being overwhelmed and not really uh, feeling safe uh, and the anxiety that's that's that comes with with a pandemic and something that at least i've not seen in my lifetime there is a peace in the moment that i'm really enjoying but obviously even though you can still do things during social media, there's not the hand touching and going to all these different events. And so even going back to the dog thing or even wanting a child, you know, there's been this sense of like, Lord, you know best because even though it is still our desire to um, parent in some way um, one day, um, I look at my life now and I'm like, you know exactly what you're doing because it's incredibly rich and full. And I'll be frank right now, there's been such a peace in staying still. But what are your earliest recollections um, of either wanting to be a mother and have children or not wanting that for yourself? Wow, um, let me see. So let me, let me start with this. I didn't get married obviously until I was 40 or, or 41, my 41st year. And I wanted to be married at 19. And don't ask me why, I was so not ready to get married at 19. Um, my parents were divorced, but I grew up with them, even with them being divorced, their family still being very connected. There being such respect because they grew up, they were like neighbors, right? So my dad's family, my mom's family, it feels like one family. And so there was this paradigm of, in my mind, wanting to be married early because I just love that concept of being with your, your, your partner for a long, long time, right? And that's something my mom had growing up with my dad and them being in this country almost really as college students together coming to America when they were young. And, and so, but I'll be frank, I don't know if I really thought about children. I thought about being partnered in my, I'd say my late twenties as especially living in Atlanta at that time where single life was great, but it's like, okay, settling down ain't that easy. As I grew in my faith and I really got involved in the church I was in 
and you kind of saw families, it made you feel more like, okay, am I missing something as a single woman? And I knew that um, I wanted to be married. And I thought in my mind, children follow. So children really, to me initially was, it really came out of this space and place of, I know I want to be married. And in my mind, you grow up, you go to college, you get a job, you get married, you have children. I never, never in my mind did I think, okay, getting married wouldn't be that easy. Or Mm -hmm. at least in my story, wouldn't just happen in my 20s, right? Um, I just thought, okay, you'd meet someone in college and then law school and then working. And that wasn't my story. And I didn't, you know, you just moved on. And in some ways, I didn't think about it too much in my 20s because it was, that was your time to hustle, to establish your career. I mean, I wanted to be a part of Cliff and Claire. So that meant, you know, hey, get your Claire on, right? And Cliff will come and Cliff didn't right away. And so (laughs) when Cliff didn't come right away, I think really in my 30s is when I started to think about really wanting children. And I realized that I want children, but I don't want children outside of being married. And then that gave me anxiety about dating because as I was navigating dating, I realized that you, I was really looking for the one because I wanted to hurry up and get married so I could have children because then you start to have all these fears like our, you know, your clock is ticking. And, you know, I think I, my clock didn't tick in my twenties. I didn't even take early thirties, but somewhere around maybe 35, 34, 35, I realized, you know, I want to be a family. I want a family, i.e., outside of my biological family, my family of origin, I want to create my own family. You know, people are now nephews and nieces, even though not my blood, friends, children. Um, I just kept thinking, wow, this is great, but I don't want to be the supporting character in someone else's story. Mm. I, want to be, I want to have my own story. And for me, that meant being married. It meant I want my own children to leave a legacy. You know, I'm in a sorority and being in a sorority, you hear a lot about legacy. You know, friends that have their daughters, they are so excited about the opportunity to one day pin their daughter. And so for me, it was seeing these stories in church and through my own friendships that really made me think like, wow, you know, I want children, still want marriage more. I'll be frank. I think if I had to choose, marriage was the thing I wanted more um, because children will grow up and go. Mm-hmm. Yep. The good ones do, right? <laughs> Some yeah. will come back home. That's when it really hit me that, wow, I, I really do want a child, but I did not want a child outside of being married. I just, uh, maybe it's the feminist or womanist in me. I just didn't. And I don't, you know, I'm not judging women who do, but I, I, for friends who were single and did it, I solved the struggle. But more importantly, I just felt like I want someone for me. And I've never thought kids would just be for you. Um, They have their own agency. Once again, I'm a juvenile lawyer, right? By trade. I know that your kids, they have their own minds. Yes, they do. Apart from their parents. So I think there's a part of me that always felt like I would love children, but I wanted something for me. You bring up some good points because I think for the most part, you know, we are, especially depending on just your cultural background or your family background, um, you know, it's, you know, we're scripted to, you go to college and you find a job and then all these other things follow. And then we find, and I'm pretty sure you found yourself in this situation and I did too, where you kind of follow that script and then you look up and you're like, I'm 38, I'm 40, yeah. 42. When you were in that dating phase, was it, were you open to dating men with children? Did you really want someone who did not have children so you can be the first to have their kid like good question dr harris you know what i I, i'll be frank once again it was there were stipulations so 
I realized the older I got, the harder it was to have that request and it be sane, <laughs> especially <laughs> as I wanted to be married to someone from the same ethnic um, background, i.e. a man of color, black man, particularly. He didn't have to be African necessarily, but, you know, um, and I just knew just once again, just not even statistics, just looking around the space I was in, that the older I was getting, it was harder to find people who hadn't been married before, you know, because there, there are people who did get married in college or right after. And um, I think when you go to that first college reunion, I mean, sorry, high school reunion and, you know, 10 years, everyone's newly married kids, the 20 year people have been married three, four times. Oh gosh. And um, so I, you know, for me, I didn't, I don't think it was a deal breaker as much as the concern I had about marrying somebody who had a child is what's the child attached to. So for me, if this, my ideal man with a child would be widow, right? Because I just didn't want to deal with any ex-wife baby mama drama. And I feel like as a woman, I knew, like, I just don't want to have a child by anybody unless I'm absolutely in love with him and there's this tie. And I just didn't feel like, you know, if I'm not going to be the first one to have your child, I don't want the woman around flaunting it. So, so really, that means I didn't want nobody with kids. But I'm saying, <laughs> if you did have kids, you know, can you be a single dad who's a widow and a saint and, of course, love Jesus? <laughs> and um, so... I realized that I didn't really want a man who had kids and there's this whole story. You know, there were some great guys I dated, one in particular who was an amazing man, but I met him in my late thirties and he had done life already. So for me, the children, it wasn't that there was anything wrong with kids because I still wanted children. It was the idea that you had all this life before me. Mm. And as someone who had not been married and not dated a lot, I still have the dream that, wow, I want someone where we can build together and have a lot of firsts. Did you have any parameters as far as uh, age? Like I know some women are like, I can do your teenagers and grown kids, but I'm not trying to do like little elementary kids. <laughs> oh, no, no. I, yeah, I think the stories matter. So for me, it's the story. It's how did the child come, right? Because I'm just not one that I believe in rewarding bad behavior. I'm always amazed when women will marry men who are like, okay, they're great now with you and your children, but they were horrible with theirs. Or even, and for me, I, I'm not one that I believe that families are bifurcated. And this is what I mean. Domestic violence study shows it doesn't just affect the, the adults in it, it's the children too. So to me, if you are a horrible husband, I don't know if the fact that you're a great father means much to me, right? Because I want to marry you, right? Right. <laughs> And have you be a good father to any children of our relationship. So, you know, I'm someone I cared more about story than I did the the physical evidence of, of having parented before. I want to go to the cultural piece. So thank you for sharing your, your cultural and ethnic background. And I'm curious to know, um, you know, how that played into you being child free and marrying late. I know in some cultures, it's like, nope, you're supposed to be married and where are the grandkids and the aunties want nieces. Yeah, yeah. And like, so tell me a little bit about those experiences. Wow. I think one of the things that shaped my life is that I had a boss grandmother who was um, the mayor of her town in, in Liberia, West Africa. And I grew up um, with just this dynamic grandmother who was very much women could do anything. I mean, she was team Hillary before Hillary thought about running. Right. Um, and, you know, so, you know, when Liberia got his first president, it was like huge for my grandmother to see that. So I, I had a grandmother who was ahead of her time. Um, 
And the other piece was I had, a, you know, my dad and my dad and my mom split when I was little. And then my dad went through some struggles where we didn't see him. I didn't see him from age nine to 39, but we would still talk. And I had a dad who believed women could do anything. So I was really blessed that I had family who knew and spoken to me that I was a brilliant child and that I could do anything. And I think I really didn't realize this later, but I really did thrive off the fact that I was a smart girl. And not that smart girls can't have children and get married, but I think being told that I was a smart and bright child, I just felt like to me that meant continue to excel in your academics, right? And it's not that I didn't think I would get married someday. I just think that that was a huge thing for me. Like, so even going to law school right after college, I mean, I went straight through and did really well in law school. And I felt like the better I did academically, the more esteem I had for my family, especially as an African child. Now, it wasn't until really probably in my 20s or 30s that my mom started to be like, okay, my daughters got through life or their teenage years without getting pregnant or, you know, with nothing major, not going to jail, not doing anything, not so much that would bring your family shame, but yeah, that would bring your family shame. Because I think there were children, especially in our community that, you know, I can't speak for all Africans, but Liberians and West Africans are very education centered, especially here in America. Like you always want to show that we're different, right? That the narrative of slavery that is really, that is really hung over our people here that Africans somehow in some ways feel like you see that's what happens when y'all let you know what I mean so there was a sense of yes boys will come boys will come get your schooling as my grandma was I'm using her accent and hey, boys will come boys will come get your school you know do your schoolwork. and so I didn't even think that for me that was a esteem that that's kind of where I got my shine and and I'll be frank there weren't a lot of men that impressed me not because I I was this amazing woman that needed to be impressed, but I just also now coming from, this is cultural. I also saw that there are a lot of men within my culture and I'm not saying all Iberian men are like this at all, but there are a lot of men who liked a lot of women, (laughs) right? So here we are being encouraged to do well, do well, but at the same time, I'm often seeing men that are womanizers. And I don't mean by beating women, but by thinking it was okay to have multiple women. So I was really nervous about dating because I just didn't want to feed into that narrative that men will be men. So it seems like your family, you didn't necessarily um, get any pressure from your family or your parents or your grandparents. It was really thrive in education, be all that you can be, and hopefully those things will, will, will be added to an already fulfilled, educated. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, but I'll be frank, I think, like I said, even my grandmother, I knew things was getting tight. She passed in 2014 and literally a year before she passed, she kept talking about it more. And she had never, like my whole life, my grandmother had never tripped on me being single, but she started to be like, are you seeing anybody? And I'll be frank, when she started to say that, I was like, okay, God, it's bad. But my grandma, who's been teen girl, right? And then my mom, I'll be frank, my mom is a critical, amazing lover of all things Renee. But my mother has always been, if not my biggest fan, the second biggest fan of my life, right? And so the relationship I had with my mother, to be frank with you, even more than sorority and uh, two things have made me want a child and, and, and even more is the fact that I want my mom to have a grandchild because now she does have step-grandchildren but I don't think it's the same. And I'll be frank, if she had a son, I don't think it'd be the same. I think there's something about your daughter having a child. 
when I got married, my mother and I got closer in a different way because she felt like you finally understand some of what I was going through. And when she said that to me, I was like, you mean me being single have kept us from being close? She was like, no, no, no. She's like, you're just about to embark on something that I feel like you'll understand some of the things I've done now. And being married, I have related to my mom differently. Is there a timeline on what you're doing? And the second part is, mm -hmm. are you open to other ways to have children, such as foster care, yes. um, adoption? So talk yeah. about that. Oh, sure. So we, we definitely, so I married older. So there's already the narrative and you know, there were some things that there were definitely some delays and some very um, discouraging things along the way in, in building a family. And one of the things, even as we're looking at adoption, it ain't cheap, right? So God bless folk, you know, who have the resources. Um, but like I said, there've been some disappointing things and, but they bonded us. And so where we are now is we are very much open to adoption. We're open. Listen, I'm looking at Janet. Like, you know, I don't know how Janet did it. First of all, Janet's Janet. She's a millionaire. But Janet was 50 when she had her baby. Don't ask me how. I am very much like, Lord, if you want it to happen, you'll do it. You'll do it biologically because I, I nothing is impossible with God. Um, I don't share that with a lot of people because to the extent you are a woman who is in the age bracket that the world in science says is impossible, there are a lot of people who look at you crazy and they will kill your faith or they're looking at you like, how dare you? Or it gets, it's offensive to people. And, and there's almost, in some ways, people look at you like, well, you chose your path. You chose to be a career woman and, and that's what you get, right? Being childless is your, is your that's what you get. And I, I, I'm one of those, that wasn't my story. I was not the essence woman on purpose. Like I wasn't sitting there like, I wasn't like shirking off dudes. Like there weren't like 15 marriage proposals like, nah, bruh. You know, that wasn't me. I, I wasn't that girl that was, you know, turning down, breaking hearts. I was just living my life. I'm enjoying this season of being Renee. And part of being Renee is that I don't physically have a child. But as someone who loves children and who has been an advocate for children, who even my dad remind me, my African name is Esebimie Meke. And he named me after my great-great-grandmother, who was a midwife. And he said, I named you because I knew you were called to bring children out of things. So when I see that in my career, that I advocate for young people, for all people, but especially the most vulnerable, um, that I do guardianship work for those who are vulnerable in mental health spaces, I know that even if I did not have children, Lord, I still believe that you always leave a legacy if you do what God has called you to do. Right? Look at, I mean, you do. And so whether that's your nieces or your nephews or godchildren or all my babies that I've, that have, I've been blessed to um, be a part of their lives through my legal work, you know, clients that still come up to me, you know, Miss Renee, and I always say, okay, call me auntie. They don't need to know you got a lawyer, right? Um, I'm part of being Renee is just saying, God, I want to be a vessel for you. And I would love to be a vessel that can parent because there's a high calling in that. But if you don't do it, right, I will, I know I will have a full life and die empty if I do what you need me to do. In regards to like focusing and highlighting women like you, um, child free does not mean childless. And Absolutely. can also mean just a temporary moment, right? And so you are able to do all these things because as you said it, child-free, 
Maybe those same things would have happened. We don't know. But the fact is, you are where you are. It's orchestrated. It's designed. And then you still have um, opportunities. But all along, you've never been childless. That's so, a great point. That's a great point. I love that point. No, I have awesome godchildren. Awesome. And they're kids who are not officially my godchildren. That mean they. I treat them all like that. And um, I have amazing friends who are like family who have children that call me auntie and who and now they call my husband uncle and he loves them like they're our own and you know my god sent from Atlanta and I just I'm first I'm so grateful for friends who trust me to even be in their children's lives and I have great friends who don't make me feel less than because I think that's sometimes a struggle um even in the workspace you know there's just like there's a privilege to being heterosexual and being married um, and being white and all the things that are normative, right? There's a privilege to having children, even when it's rough, because people can kind of relate to you. So when things are happening sometimes, even with, with COVID and work, you know, there's this empathy for parents, right? Like, what are you going to do about child care? And if you ain't got no kids, people ain't really help. They ain't checking for you. <laughs> and it sounds like again, it goes back to the beginning of feeling centered, feeling balanced, feeling happy and really letting things um, organically happen, God's will playing out. And that's, and that's a good place to be in because then you're not trying to manipulate it and turn it and switch it around to make it fit you. And so as we kind of come to a close, um, I'm curious to know, what message would you give a young sister who's maybe 25, 22, yeah. 26, and they already know for them, they want to be child free, but they're getting pressure from society or a partner or their families. What, what advice or counsel would you give that young, young woman? Oh, God bless them. And that's, a, and that's a tough place to be in because once again, there is a, the privilege, I mean, that's the assumption, right? And there's a bravery in being in your twenties and thirties and knowing I don't want children. And I tip my hat off to those men and women who know. The thing I would say is stand in your truth. Don't feel pressure, even as you're dating, and be honest with people because people deserve to know so they can make a good decision, right? There are people who marriage or not marriage, but uh, the desire to have a child, whether you can have it or not, but just the desire or the willingness, uh, that's something that's a factor. So, you know, I'll be frank, I never wanted to marry someone, even being older, who didn't want children. But don't be ashamed. You know, there's a reason often that we don't... Um, I think there's a reason why people are wired the way they are. Mm -hmm. And it's always a good reason. I know people who were not called to have children, I'll be frank, that fought it and did it. And I, I've saw children suffer. And once again, God is in control, but you know, they made it happen and now they don't have their children. And I've seen that. I've literally seen that. And um, I, I just would stand in my truth and, and, and find ways, listen to this podcast by Dr. Angela Harris. Yay. And they're, just like there's support groups for mothers and fathers and people who desire to be parents, I believe there's support groups for people like, I am happily um, child-free. Um, I'll be frank, I don't know if I hear those stories as much as I kind of hear the unhappily child-free. I think the world may need to hear more of those stories. I know I'm good. No, no, like, I'm good. And say kudos to you, because I don't want nobody who wants kids bringing them here. My last question is, and, and I, I think I know the answer, but I'm, I'm going to just let you go with it. Any yes. regrets or anything that you would do differently? 
I wouldn't have minded if God had let me meet my husband earlier, mm-hmm. right? Because I really would have loved having done some parts of my life and have him there, right? And then, you know, if the children had come earlier, he'd be great and he'd be taking care of them while I'm doing my life, right? Because <laughs> right? that's the kind of husband I got. Um, and I'd take care of him too, but um, he, he, he could be a house dad and be fine. And I, I don't think I'd look at him with a crooked eye. I don't regret anything. I, 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 my desire was to definitely marry and have children and to do it earlier. Um, but I don't regret anything because I don't know if I'd be the person I am now. I don't know if I would be as dependent on God, right? And when I say dependent, even when it comes to the desire, right? Like my desires, there's a scripture to all my desires before you. And knowing that I love in some ways living a supernatural life where I live a life now where if God does, if some things happen in my life, people will know it's, it's God. You know, this judgeship, I love it. That's God. A child, that's God. Um, I don't mind, I no longer mind having a life that people know that, okay, only God did that, right? I don't, I don't need credit for it. And same thing with a child, whether adoption or not, that'll be God. How did that happen? God. So I don't regret anything. The advice I would give to people who do desire family, and I've done this to some mentees, is have the balance and like, unlike me who, you know, I was so not so focused on career. I just, I didn't even think, I didn't think I, it, it wouldn't happen. I think we live in a world now because dating is so different where you need to be more intentional. And I don't mean be fake and just end up with something just to have it, but there are women who will friend zone guys that would be awesome partners and awesome fathers. And they're going for something else. And I'm like, you're sometimes missing what's in front of you. Balance can be both pursuing a career and being in a healthy relationship. Because I'm seeing more and more black women in their 30s who you could tell they're disappointed and they're sad. And I'm telling them, honey, who that dude in college that you just gave a crooked eye? Because even though I am thankful for my life and God is good and I have the faith to believe that he will still do it for me. I'm saying, you know what? That doesn't have to be your journey. You don't have to have a journey where you're relying on faith for that. You know what I mean? You need God for everything. And you can still, while you're in your 30s, if you know you don't want to be a woman in her 40s trying to have children, be more open. Be more open without settling. I know for a fact that someone is going to be inspired and someone's going to take that and say, I hear me in your story. So thank you for dropping all those nuggets, everything from from how you begin to just really your faith. Like, your faith has been strong from the beginning to end. I hear that throughout your story. And, and really, it's about highlighting those stories, highlighting our stories, because it's not a perfect straight line for everybody. For some, no. yes, it is. But for, for others, we got to go around and up and under. And so thank you so much for sharing. But before I just say this to you before you go, I love that you're doing this. I'll be frank. I don't know if I could have done this a year ago. I love that you are your podcast. I love the name of it. And I love that the sensitivity you have to the fact that women, especially women of color who are, are trying to change the world in whatever way that we are, we can be seen and making women visible because there are a lot of narratives and tropes around women, especially black women that are not accurate. You know, we either, they think we're the Jezebel that's just popping a lot of babies out or we're cold hearted um, bees that, you know, it's all about you or you're a gold digger. And we're, we are every woman. We are, we're not a monolith. 
and um, there are stories. Uh, there's, there's, there is beauty in being who you are, including child-free. There's beauty in everything you're called to be, um, even as there's some things that are tough. So I love that you did this, and I love that you, your story has led you to being a woman that could use your scholarship and your service and your sensitivity to share your gift through this podcast. Well, thank you. So before I let you go, I want you to tell the people any final words where people can find you, anything exciting that you want the audience to know. This is your time to shine a little bit more. Please keep me in prayer for those who are listening as I'm embarking on um, this amazing journey of being a judge. You can find out more about me at www.crenee, the letter, I mean, the number four, judge.com, C Renee Little the number four judge.com. But please, uh, I am mindful that judges are servants. It's not about lording it over people. It's about being servant leaders. I pray for the wisdom of Solomon, Solomon, the might of David, and oh, the strength of Deborah as I do my work because I want to be accountable to the people. You guys, you have been listening to the wonderful testimony and story of Mrs. C. Renee Little Esquire. Continue to follow her. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. And remember, womanhood is not synonymous with motherhood. Take care. Peace. Peace. You have been listening to the No Bibs, Burps, Bottles podcast, a podcast dedicated to the stories of African-American women without children. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to rate, comment, and subscribe. Until next time, keep living your best child-free life.